0: Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arato Samma Sambuddhasa. Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arato Samma Sambuddhasa. Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arato I will awaken speedily for the sake of all sentient beings, and for all beings may they be established in wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. Omahom Benzra Guru Pema Guru Pema Guru Pema So before we enter into the next example of illusion, do you have any questions arising from the uh, investigations that you're doing? I'd like to say a little bit about practice this morning, about the form or formlessness of practice as your practice is quite um, formless at the moment I think fairly formless and that's actually not a bad thing at all it's only been a week yeah any questions at all that you'd like to ask about this I think Barry was, his lips moved at first <laughs> <so he laughs> got the motor, he got the motor activity happening before you <coughs> regarding it in the water. Mm.
1: I was using a puddle and I drained the puddle and there was no moon. Hmm. <laughs>
0: you tell me. <laughs> and how but more more so what happened is did the draining of the pool lead to some changes in you, something happening in your way in which you experience uh, both self and phenomena.
1: Just more, curiosity.
0: more curiosity. What did you? What actually did you drain? <coughs> <Ooh.
1: laughs> <Didn't go
0: there. laughs> so if you go there and you take a pool and you drain the pool, what has been changed? It's actually a very beautiful experiment. I mean, it's a very beautiful metaphor that can lead very deeply. If you drain the pool. What are you draining? You're draining the content of experience. You're changing the content of experience. So imagine if you drain the like a like an abscess. If you drain the abscess, what happens? The being heals. This is we'll we'll get into this a bit today with um, the mirage, yeah, mirage. Very important. So that would be worthy, uh, Barry, you've discovered something that's worthy of practice as a meditation, is to fill up a pool, fill up a sink, make reflections, and drain them. Because in fact that's very close to what happens when clinging ceases. There's a draining away of clinging. The phenomenal this, that, me, it, outer, inner experience in, experience, out, my mind, my objects of mind vanish when the pool gets drained. And what's left? Self-illuminating wisdom mind. That's called emptiness. So you've, you've touched upon something very close to what could lead, as an outer uh, meditation, to something very, very profound, which is the draining, the cessation, the draining of clinging. And there appears not nothing but the what's called the self-aware or self-illuminating mind in its pristine aspect, also known as enlightenment. So good on you. Keep at it. Mm-hmm. Keep at it. Close, 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 close. Sometimes what happens for beings is you don't plan these things. This is wonderful. You don't plan it. You do enough contemplation that one day after the retreat, or walking somewhere, or driving somewhere, or something, you're sitting and talking to someone, but because you've done all this practice, draining the pond, draining the pond, draining the pond, in terms of meditation practice, one day when you're not trying, that's usually how it happens, in retreat, out of retreat, so-called in retreat, out of retreat, whatever it is, the pool gets drained for real. However real, whatever the word real means. Do you get it? And that's why you're doing all this work. And the person that's clinging to, maybe it will be tomorrow. Maybe it will be the next hour. You have to get beyond that, enjoy the journey, and trust eventually, when you have enough experience, you trust that the action of retreat work, action of the journey, always prints itself out for the inquiring mind in opportunities that present themselves. So you have to almost allow opportunities. You never know when opportunities will manifest. Uh, for instance, you may be, um, in the back of your mind, shopping for a certain type of fabric, for a certain purpose, right? And you're looking in fabric shops, yes? You get the example. You're looking in fabric shops. So you, you look through 20, 30 fabric shops for a certain drape, for something that you want but you can't find it, Right? and you walk into a little cafe and you're focusing on the coffee, you're focusing on the uh, barista, you're all you're, oh, this, right? But lo and behold, up above are rolls of fabric that match exactly what you're looking for. But if you don't look, the opportunities don't present themselves. So all this practice that you do in retreat, sometimes months and months and months, that really not a lot happens. To me, is you're you're laying in the seeds for opening the mind to the possibility of never knowing when the pool gets drained. Did you follow how it works? And people are in such a weird place because they're struggling in retreat to get the experience now. It's not always the case, and actually sometimes rarely, <laughs> that that's the way it works. It's when you're in retreat, and you're... I think I'll just have a bit of water, you know... Oops! Laurel's going for a walk. Someone at the door, or someone... In the door the mind door. So, thank you for that. Yes? Uh, the way I wrote this down, substance and object of experience is superimposed over ordinary objects. So there's an object which is the substance, which is experiential. Uh, in other words, I have, th- I have th- two different objects in that sentence. One is an ordinary object, and I guess my question is, what's the ordinary object? No, there's no ordinary object. <coughs> All objects are the same. Um, we normally take ordinary <coughs> objects as being the outer object. Uh, yeah, we have to be careful about that. But anyways, uh, it's, it's actually very simple. Anything appearing to our senses to perception... Is called an object, object of mind. Uh, you need to find out if there is a super superposition, superimposition over a veneer over that object. That's number one. Number two, when that comes off, uh, which is uh, I've been discussing, I've also been raising a lot, but also very more today, is is that object separate from the experience separate from consciousness let's let's put out a couple of possibilities which you which which is very important to spend time to investigate in meditation contemplate is the object out there and the consciousness reaches out for the object does the object reach in and come into the mind does the consciousness Create the ob- the experience of the object, no? um, or does the is there actually any existing object in itself other than the interpretation of the observer? Does the observer create the object, but the observer doesn't know the object is created? Superimposition happens like that, but you you have to catch it, you have to see it, it and see if it's true. See, that's true. Now what do we mean by objects? Because a lot of the time what we mean by objects is something out there. What happens when the object is something in our body? A feeling, a sensation, emotion. We normally think that's different than objects. No, they're the same. So this is something that's actually classic, classic insight meditation. You can do this. You just I'll tell you how to do it. You take a sensation, or a feeling, or an emotion, whatever that is, and you keep holding it in consciousness, which means don't cling to it, keep letting it arise clearly, and see if there's any difference between a sensation, internally, externally, or on the skin, inside the body, or a feeling, and looking at a wall, or looking at a person. Try it, but it may take you some time to see what happens. See if there's any real difference at all, let me give you let me give you the kind of differences and how slippery this is. Slippery in a good way. If I say to you, for instance, there's a an apparently solid wall of rock behind uh, Terry and Laurel's head, yes, apparently, and normally the word we use, often the word we use is there is solid rock. Let's 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 listen to language. How strong language is, and what language does to uh, consciousness. There is a solid rock wall there, but you haven't touched the rock. Where does the word "solid rock wall" come from?
1: Past experience.
0: Past experience. Memory of what? Those things that look like rocks. Is a rock solid? only sometimes it's not particularly solid to a diamond drill or a rock drill it's not particularly solid to explosives but it's solid to what placing a human hand against a rock is normally by experience fairly solid have you ever have you ever felt granite falls apart in your hand i know a whole mountain of granite that you can scoop your hand into the hillside it looks absolutely solid you can take your hand, you can actually scoop it out with your hand, or a spoon. And you could take the entire hillside apart with a spoon. And yet you walk on it, feeling it solid. Wangapeka Retreat Center. Cool, I, I like that. I find it so neat that there is a hill, 144 acres of this, this beautiful hill, and realize that you're walking on nothing but crumbling rock. And you can take a shovel, and sometimes you can take your hand and just scoop the, the rock out. That's why the cabins sometimes go like this. Because <laughs> the whole hill slumping. Not just the surface. It's decaying. So let's listen to the word solid. Solid, solid. As a child, you're taught what solid means. Solid, solid, solid. But what happens if you say the rock is experienced as an obstruction? Let's use the word obstruction. Then it only means it's an obstruction for experience, but doesn't necessarily mean it's inherently an obstruction. Do you see? It's only an obstruction for right now, but it's not an obstruction under different conditions. So, what is the object? Language, concept, all about concept. Change the bonds in the solid rock, and it all changes only simply by how we reflect upon it. So now let's look at how tough it is with emotions, because that plagues a lot of people. I understand. They tell me, emotions really disturb us, so we want to know all about emotions. Have you ever looked at an emotion? Yes. You say, well, I have, because I've experienced emotions again and again, and they can be very troubling. Or they can be glorious, but often people talk about how troubling emotions are, especially Westerners. Is the emotion an obstruction? Is it solid? So let's just see a show of hands. Is an emotion ever solid? Mm -hmm. Do I see any hands? Is it obstruction? Let's see a show of hands. You can put your hands up. Mm -hmm. To what? An obstruction to what? What
1: you want.
0: What you want. A state that you want that you now don't have. Will you ever have that state that you want again? See a of hands. Yes. Mm -hmm. But what happens in the difficult emotion? Hopelessness. But what else? Permanency? Solidity? And is it true? No. But how many times in a lifetime is that going to go on, the falsity of it, And the experience of permanency, solidity, hopelessness, it's me, I'll never get out of it, it's the way it is, and we know that's what? Completely false. Isn't that amazing? So where, why does this continue (coughs) to plague beings? Why? Only one reason. Why? It's so simple. It's worth hearing. Yes, but that ultimately yes. But why? Why? It's really simple. It's, a habit. it's just a habit, but why is it a habit? Because that's the way you're trained. If you were trained to look from an early age, and you were trained to look at emotions with a different language, with a different way, and actually spend the time, not a weekend or an afternoon or some weekend retreat course or something like this, right? but actually go on retreat with the right tools and the right training, you will quickly see there's not a thing there, but figmentation, just figmentation, 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 figment, just figment, figment in mind. Why? What are you experiencing when you have an emotion? Sensations, why are they so terrifying? Why are sensation so terrifying? You put your foot in cold water, is that a problem? Mm-hmm. You scald your finger, is that a problem? You get a tummy ache, is that a problem? What do you do about a tummy ache?
1: Take something.
0: Take something, go lie down, get a hot water bottle, relax, right? So what's a, what's an emotion? A tummy ache with a whole bunch of thoughts. Right? Isn't that right? It's a tummy ache with a lot of thoughts. So why wouldn't you look at it, but you just don't have the tools? That's all. That Don't have the training, don't have the tools, simply don't have the patience, the time to go, oh my goodness, and do it enough that it changes. We do that with lots of things, right? We learn how to play instruments. We spend years learning how to uh, do maybe surgery or medicine or be a business person, right? And get very good at it. But what is it that we don't do? That which is this close to us that we live through every day and we think we can think our way out of it. Well, I just think about my emotions. How many times? You try it 500,000 times, it doesn't work? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And all around people are telling you, well, you just think about it. Or you get another object. Oh, just have a, have another, you know, in the Matrix, have a cookie. You know that in the Matrix? Wonderful. Have a. Have you all seen the Matrix? Oh, uh, it's, well, it's worth seeing. That will be part of the course. You know, that, really, it's worth seeing. Have a cookie. How many cookies do you want to have? Do you want a cookie or you want to wake up? I'd rather go through it again five hundred thousand times. Have another cookie. It's that simple. Isn't that interesting? It's that simple. Yeah. But what's the society around you doing? Don't take don't blame yourself. What's the message? Have another cookie, have another cookie, have another cookie. And you'll be just fine. And it's so deep in there that all you need to do is just keep turning on the internet, or the television, or another movie, or go socialize, and it's all okay. Because you know it will shift. But you'll have to face it another day, another moment. But you see some people, then it gets really troubling. Because it doesn't shift. It does, but it seems to be a constant part of life. It's not, of course. Any other questions? Does that help a bit, Terry? So we have to examine through insight what actually is this substantial experience of object and superimpositions upon it and keep peeling back the layers. And then eventually you get an aha moment and then you get a later on an aha moment and further and further and further. But you have to do what I call the briefcase work. You know the composition work that can take a long time until it comes together? You have to do that until it begins to come together as direct experience and things change. Mm. We'll go into that deeper, every day, deeper and deeper. Any others? Someone else had a question? Mirage. Everybody familiar with the word mirage? Everybody familiar with the experiences of mirage? Has everybody in the room Uh, directly experienced a mirage? in their life, so they can actually know what I mean by that, yes? Okay, good. I'm going to start the chapter, the section off, uh, with, from the tradition of Buddha Dharma. Now, in the discourse by the, uh, I don't know if it's actually by the Buddha, I think it is, uh, but maybe maybe one of the bodhisattvas, it might be by, by Manjusri, but the Discourse on the King of Meditations, it's a 4th century Buddhist text, uh, remarks on the following on the topics of mirages. So I'm quoting from the text, from the 4th century, Know all phenomena to be like this. A noon, At noon in midsummer, a man tormented by thirst, marching on, sees a mirage as a pool of water. I'll repeat that. Know all phenomena to be like this. At noon in midsummer, do you have a picture of being? Because it's from India. Do you have a picture of being in India, somewhere in a desert-like area, 130 degrees out, <laughs> midsummer, a man tormented by thirst, marching on, sees a mirage as a pool of water. Know all phenomena like this. Although a mirage contains no water, confused beings will want to drink it. But unreal water cannot be drunk. Know all phenomena. Now, when it says know all phenomena, what do they mean by know all phenomena? Think about it. Philosophize about it? No. Investigate very, very deeply, again and again and again, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times, all phenomena. Does that mean just one phenomena? Waves, clouds? No. Once it comes up with one phenomena, test it with all phenomena. This is the art of the great yogi, yogi or yogini. Not just one experience. Not just one glimpse, but many, 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 many glimpses again and again and again in different places, in different states, to see if that is in fact consistent. This is a very, if I may, this is a very big lack by amateur meditators. They're looking for the one experience, but they're not testing themselves again and again and again with difficult or very pleasurable experiences to see if there's consistency in the experience. Did you So, when it says, know all phenomena to be like this, although a mirage contains no water, confused beings will want to drink it and continue to drink it. Does this really hit the bone? (laughs) Over and over and over and over again, and, and it doesn't work. They don't get satisfied, truly satisfied. But unreal water cannot be drunk. What are most beings drinking today? Unreal water. And it's causing massive illness. Depression is now considered to be one of the, the fastest growing uh, diseases on the planet. It's going to replace heart disease. They figure statistically it's going to replace uh, heart disease and cardiovascular diseases in five years as the number one disease. And does it kill? Yes, it does. Because what's the number? Maybe Shalane, you know. Is it 5 to 15% of all seriously depressed people eventually commit suicide? It's huge. It's huge. It's taking over the planet. Depression, anxiety, depression. Anxiety, depression. Why? Chemical. We can say chemical reasons, uh, biological reasons, all kinds of things like that but look at what people are being conditioned into chasing mirages where there's no real satisfaction blown right out but i bought the house the bank offered me unlimited terms right i bought a 2 million dollar or $1 million dollar house the bank offered me extraordinary terms right so i took it and now i'm bankrupt or they foreclosed on me oh it's their fault well, partly it is because they're offering you mirage, and you're trying to drink from it. Is it their fault? No, it's your fault. Take responsibility. You drunk from the mirage, and there was nothing there. Do you see? Inherently unsatisfying, a culture of nothing but mirages being spewed out. Right? Spewed out. Oh, give an example. I went to pay my phone bill from last month, but I got billed another month. Of course, that's how it works. So if you don't close it out within a, exactly on the right day, uh, the rest of the month means you get to pay for it, even though you don't use the phone, the next month. So I go in to pay the bill, and when I enter into the, um, the website, I get one new cell phone after another that says, get me. On the right on the bomb, Get me. It's not subtle at all. It says, get me. The Samsung Galaxy, whatever it is. Then the iPhone, the new iPhone G, that uh, is a GS4. And they're going like this on the internet. Get me. Get me. Get me. Get me. Get me. Get me. And I could just sit there if I wanted to, seeing all these new cell phones and products, and movies. Just touch a button, and you can have any movie you want. If you enter the members lounge, get me, get me, get me, get me, get me. uh, Am I painting a direct enough picture? What is it? A mirage. That will make me feel better. It will certainly make me feel better to have the GSS43-5. When the cell phone tower and the transmitter stations are changed every couple of years, so the phone that you had two years ago does no longer works. That's cool. So not only is it chasing after mirages, but an entire industry, that makes sure that you chase after mirages because the mirage that you just had last year or two years ago doesn't work very well anymore, and now it's really inherently dissatisfying because it's so slow or it doesn't work, or you go to another country and go, we're sorry, it doesn't work, but actually if you upgrade to this phone, it does. Pervaded. Pervaded by not knowing what to do to be satisfied. People come to see me and they say, what should I do in life? Can you imagine? What should, I don't know what to do. Why don't I know what to do? Because I don't know what thing to chase. Go chase mind. That's the root. That's the only place you'll find it because that's all that's ever happening, is mind. If you go and look at mind, you'll be finished with chasing mirages. Then you use mirages out of compassion. It's called tantra. right? We use mirages, and light mirages, Reflections of the enlightened mind to open up mind. Okay. According to the Tibetan tradition, Indian tradition too, there is a particular class of spirits called yidang. These are hungry ghosts. And the hungry ghosts suffer this illusion frequently. Always chasing... Does this sound, sound familiar? Always chasing mirages, always chasing food, but never being satisfied. So when Yutila Wanta Saido, um, Ananda Bodhi your Namrum uh, meditation teacher in in Burma uh, would come to the west he'd often say to people just you know like in a group like hungry goats hungry goats. people would go, why is he saying hungry goats hungry goats hungry goats hungry goats oh westerners hungry goats hungry goats he was saying hungry ghosts <laughs> because they're so wealthy and not never fast satisfied I want more give me another one Give me another text, give me another meditation, another rosary. Give me another meditation, another meditation, another text, another Another teaching. Right? Hungry, 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 hungry. Or car, whatever it is. Another one, another one, another one, another one. Yeah. Now we base our entire economy on growth based on that. Do you know there's major economists and actually world leaders saying, this is ridiculous. I mean, finally, this is ridiculous. They're looking at the Japanese model. You know, the, you know, they've been complaining about Japan being in a stagnancy, economic stagnancy, and so on. Even though their growth isn't very high, because of their communal attitude towards uh, the economy and life and so on, they've actually been doing very well. Mm-hmm. So economists begin to look at Japan going, wait a minute, they've had f- 20 years, 15 years of a stagnant economy with no real substantial growth. But people are doing really well maybe there's another way to be.
1: <laughs>
0: Instead of going, you know, if we don't have three, 3% growth in G- G- GDP, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. Well, J- Japan hasn't had that for so long, and they haven't come to an end. They're actually getting the message, which is, you don't always have to have a runaway economy to be happy. There's something else going on. Hungry Ghosts. To be reborn as a yidug... As a hungry ghost, it is claimed one must have a mind filled with greed. Chasing, 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 chasing. These hungry ghosts confront a nightmarish world where their desires are continually thwarted. Does this sound familiar? So sometimes we have the experience of godlike realm where everything we want, we get. Whatever we think of in terms of food, we get. We'd like uh, pasta with, uh, let's say, linguini with a Alfredo song happens right boy, I'd like to have a beautiful Tuscan pizza in a, in a wood-fired stove happens't are you have times like that in your life? Whatever you want just appears. Have you ever had time when whatever you want doesn't appear? It just doesn't appear. You're on your way to have a beautiful Tuscan pizza and the tire blows out and you're by the road and you never get the Tuscan pizza but you do get the blown out tire experience and changing the tire by the road at night. Ever had that? That's called the hungry ghost experience. Or sometimes, if that happens maybe in Harlem, you know, where you're on your way to a fine restaurant in New York and you're driving through Harlem and you get a flat tire, well, maybe you have a different kind of experience. It's possible, right? Their necks are are barely able to support their heads. <laughs> and their bellies are distended, right? Distended, huge bellies of the hungry ghosts, right? Why? They, no matter what they eat, they're never satisfied. Sound, sound familiar? Tormented by constant hunger and thirst, they travel far and wide to find food and drink and are exhausted from their travels. You don't even have to travel now. You just be on the internet and get exhausted by your travels. You don't have to go anywhere, right? And you're completely exhausted. Why are why are people so exhausted? I mean people are totally wiped out. And let's not talk about chronic fatigue syndrome. That's that's got a very biological nature to it. I have people totally, utterly wiped out. Why? Hungry ghosts chasing, chasing, trying to be satisfied, not satisfied whatsoever. The new spiritual dogma. The new Tibetan thing, the new secret, secret inner teaching. That's compassion. It's great. Why? Because people get interested. This and that, this and that. It's a plague. In the rare instances when they find a piece of food, it vanishes in front of their eyes. Well, we do that too all the time, right? When we find the, the food... It vanishes. How about the statement? That's a magnificent coffee. Could I have like a uh, two quarts of that?
1: <laughs>
0: Never to be reproduced again. Mirages do, of course, not just appear to hungry ghosts, right? Do, do mirages appear, mirages of wanting something that vanishes. Does that appear to other beings besides hungry gods? Yes. Those that also dwell in the semi-godlike realms, like us. Vanishing, 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 vanishing. It's worth, actually, because I sometimes think even though you hear it, it doesn't really land. And I'm not suggesting. I'm suggesting you do it, but only those that feel they need to do it. And those that feel they don't need to do it may need to do it. Is to actually spend some time reflecting on your life, not you, just life, and, and adding up the number of hungry ghost moments to get a feeling of how, how pervasive. Why? Because this teaching is also about compassion, not just your liberation. As a bodhisattva, it's worth studying history. It's worth studying your own culture, or world culture, and going, what are people suffering from? It's worth actually studying the number of hungry ghost moments in your life to realize it's not you. You're bathed in it. You're soaked in it from a very early age. Bathed in it, bathed in it. Bathed in it. Mirages, mirages, mirages. <clears throat> but they appear to human beings as well. There are two different... Now, he's going. he goes into... In this book, he goes into tremendous detail about the nature of mirages. I'm not going to do that. I want to bring out the meditative side and how we can use mirages. But I'm just going to give you a one-paragraph summary of the nature of mirage to get a feeling about it. Yes? Okay. There's two types of mirages generally seen by, by, by us. One is a superior mirage and one is an inferior mirage. That is a mirage that appears ab- um, uh, floating, um, in the sky, and one that's actually on the surface. So, for instance, a inferior mirage is usually seen in the desert. We also can have them here, not, not probably not so often, where um, refraction of light to do with temperature uh, layers of atmospheric formations, um, hot and cold, sit one above the other. I can't remember exactly which one is which. But they can create the appearance so that something appears in the sky or just before you. In the case of a superior mirage, uh, on the o- often on the ocean, have you ever seen this on the ocean? Where a boat or something that's actually over the horizon gets refracted up in front of you, but you can't actually see it. It's actually way, way far away. Okay? So there's delusionary mirages that can actually form. There's nothing there. But there's also ones where you get to see something like a mountain chain or a lake, but it's actually way, way, way away and appears riding up above the horizon. There's two different, two major different types of mirages. Because of
1: atmosphere.
0: Because of cha- because of atmospheric layers. Usually it's because a warm mass is above a cold mass, or a cold mass is above a warm mass, and it refracts the light in such a way, right? Because you know that light light when it comes through an object gets bent. Well, when you're dealing with huge masses of moisture and atmosphere, the light gets bent in different ways. All right. So light gets bent in the window glass right now. Light, and you know when you put for instance if I was to put the the um, this piece of metal and plastic in a bowl of water, what would happen?
1: It would look shorter.
0: It would shorter. look like this, yeah. you see? Yeah. So the same thing happens when you have massive atmospheric changes, is light gets bent very strongly, and it can actually lift up something or draw an image from below and see it. In the case of mirages in the desert, and I've seen them in the desert. Has anybody ever seen them in the desert? Seeing oasis, an oasis in the desert? It's pretty cool. You actually see an oasis. You see this beautiful pool or lake of water shimmering in there, and people have died because of that chasing after it. It looks very real. So it can look incredibly real.
1: So that could be a mirage from a body of water that's further off from the distance.
0: That's right. Huh. Or, actually, it can be a mirage which is a shining area that actually is not from anything at all but just property light, but looks like a lake. Yeah? Now, why do we use this as an example of illusion, to, to as an example to bring people out of suffering? Because what is experience? It's a superimposition. It's a um, reflected light of something that actually isn't truly there. So you're going to go, well, but a mirage is like this. But actually, let's do it again. If you Have you tried this now? I hope you have. Try to feel your body and find out what you feel. What do you really feel? Strip away the language and go, what is it about my body experience that isn't a mirage, isn't a reflected, um, illusory projection in space that I chase after? Do you know how to do that? Take a simple sensation and hone in on it and reflect on it. Just look. Just feel it. Look, like, look at it again and again and again and strip away all the presuppositions, strip away all the concepts, and keep doing it. And what do you arrive at? That's what you need to tell me. What do you arrive at? That's how it's done. That's insight meditation. What is insight meditation? Stripping bare the conceptual layers until what happens? The self-illuminating, radiant... Consciousness appears. But that you have to find. Okay, I'm going to skip over all the detailed explanations of refraction and refraction to the atmosphere. Now, mirages are often used as a philosophical example in writings from a particular uh, type of Buddhist meditational philosophy called mind-only, called Chittamatra, or Yoga Chara. By the way, when it says Yoga Chara, it's called vehicle of the yogins. Now people say always Buddhist philosophy, you know, Yoga Buddhist philosophy. Well, you have to understand these Yoga charans The word Yoga charan is Yoga, which mind yoga, and Car, uh, vehicle. These were great meditators. These were meditators that spent years and years and years, entire lives, studying mind and phenomena. Mind and phenomena. In retreat, debating it. And there are treatises and volumes and volumes, encyclopedic volumes of these beings, Vasubandhu, Asanga, who wrote volumes from their meditative experience on the nature of illusory phenomena. And mirage is one of the great ones. Mirage, mirage, mirage. Why? Why? Because beings suffer so much. Yeah? Suffer so much. Also known as the mind only school. Sometimes people mistake it and they go, my mind only school. But that's not true. They never ever slipped into my mind. But they did say mind only. Why? Well, we've been discussing this a lot. I've been I've been speaking about it. Um, I've been constantly referring to mind-only, but not uh, using that term. They argued, especially Asanga and Vasubandhu, they argued that all phenomena... Now, do you know what I mean by that? We have to keep coming back to that. We have to not abstract the word phenomena. All experience. If we say things, sometimes we use the word thing. Phenomena. 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 Phenomena, 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 you know, so you, you have, uh, what is it, um, from Sesame Street? Phenomena, na phenomena, na, na phenomena, na that's the only thing I remember from Sesame Street.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, they're
0: really good. They're teaching high-level philosophy here.
1: Okay.
0: So don't just think, don't just conceive it as things, phenomena as things, but feelings, emotions, ideas, concepts, everything that comes to experience that we think is either solid, not solid, whatever it is, is all phenomenal reality. Do you, do you get the idea? It's all phenomenal reality. So they argued that all phenomena had to be understood in the same way as a mirage. They use the mirage over and over and over and over and over again. Why? It appears, but isn't really there. You go, you chase it, you cling to it, and it vanishes. Good insight meditation. So how do you do this? You watch for the chasing after mirages. How do you do it? Well you wait here, like this? I'm gonna do a good insight measure. I'm gonna wait until there's a mirage. And I'm gonna see if I go and chase after the mirage. But where do we have mirages appearing all day long that we can use as examples?
1: Well the card trick was I think a really good one. You enjoyed that one? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Card trick's very 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 direct, isn't it? Yeah. All experience right now is like a mirage. And the only place where there's actually some real, even close to what may be out there is how big? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That big. Now, what else can we use that's mirage-like? Half a million to a million times in a given day, or maybe even two or three million times in a given day. We don't have to go looking for mirages. We don't have to keep pulling up the card. Thoughts. Thoughts?
1: Fantasies
0: fantasy, thoughts, sensation. Now why is it that I'm not going to recommend thoughts? It's too hard for most people. So most insight practices start with what? Sensation, because it's, it's more physical, appears like a more solid entity. Start with the body. Start with the body. So the four foundations of mindfulness, as taught by the Buddha, has a reason for it. If you go too high, too fast, you fall. Body, feelings, physical physical, energetic mental feelings, not, not physical feelings, body, feelings, states of mind, and then phenomena. If you go to phenomena first, you can be lost in space. You know that? Song? Lost in space. In fantasy world. How many sensations did you say you you experience a day? Well, what's a good one? What's a good one that's fairly constant? Fairly, I say fairly, fairly constant. Most people can hone in on. Easy to do as long as you're alive. Breath. Pretty easy. Eh? And breath has to do with all of your energy and communication, so it's wonderful. So that is why in so many insight traditions, breath which is sensation, not breath. See, so you start with breath, experiencing breath. It's very usually like this, you know. <laughs> but after a while, doesn't it get a little boring? So you have to go, well, what are you experiencing? person says, I'm experiencing breath. What's supposed to happen? What are you experiencing? You're experiencing sensation. That's all. There's no breath. Is there any breath there? Whoever called it breath anyways. Do you have any other thing than sensation when you breathe? Can I see a show of hands? Anybody? Debate with me, please. Debate with me. Do you have any other thing happening when there's a breath besides sensation?
1: I wanted that.
0: But is that breathing? How about the thought of breathing? I'm having a thought of breathing. What is that?
1: The sensation of the thought while you're having the sensation.
0: Right. And the sensation of a thought is what? A sensation. Why do we split off thoughts as not being sensation? Every thought... Now, if you're a good insight meditator, because I'm assuming you all are, do you ever notice that every thought Alters the body? Every thought is a sensation. There's no thought that is not a sensation. It's just re- too refined for most people. What does every thought do? Changes the breath, changes the sensation of breathing. And when does it happen? Like that. Like that. So where's a laboratory? Let's find a laboratory now to study mirages. Where, where? What's something so immediate that we have before us, that's close to us, that we go, my breath, my sensation. This is brilliant, you know. This is why this is why the Buddha awakened when he did, right? He picked something that was self, but not self, mind, but not mind. He picked something so close to the being. That's always there one after the other breath, 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 which is no more than the experience of a sensation, right? Is that correct? you need to know this. It's important. Some people it takes a long time for them actually to know that breath is a sensation because it's imagined. just like people drink food or drink uh, eat food, drink liquids, and they're not actually tasting, they're having an idea. You it? Or they're walking on the patio but they're dreaming about the patio. Give me I'll give you a demo. I like, I like these these kind of laboratory demos, right? If only I had a Persian carpet like this in my house. Right? If my only if my house looked like this. Right? Yeah. So you're walking on the floor. If only my hardwood floors in my house were like this. Are you experiencing anything? But what? You're experiencing what? Yeah. A fantasy. My house, is there anything happening but a fantasy? Wouldn't that be something if I could feel the carpet below my feet? Are you actually feeling the carpet? Or an imaginary carpet? You see? How about breath? Good breath. Bad breath. Spiritual breath. Anxiety breath. Depressed breath. Blissful breath. What is it though? What actually is it? Let's be Zen. What is it? Breath. No! It's just a sensation super imposition that's experienced as something conceived by the mind. What is it? It's a physical sensation. What happens? It gets interpreted. So what happens when it doesn't become an anxiety breath anymore? It's just a sensation. Right? Was there ever an anxiety breath there? No. There was interpretation of it. you don't believe me, I can see faces going, what's that? you don't want to see the certain turn, well, I can feel it, but the certain turn of the mouth that goes, prove it to me, <laughs> prove it to me. So, what's the, the beautiful thing about breath is it happens, right, theoretically, for many beings, about 22,000 times a day. Okay? In-out-breathing. One in, one out. Count them. So there's a, pra- there's a task for in the Drikung Kagyu Mahamudra tradition, you count how many times, how many breaths you have, and you keep mindful of everyone without distraction. That's a good. That's isn't that a good? That's good, isn't it? So you know how many breaths you have in a day, not just going, oh, I counted them in uh, 15 minutes, multiplied by four, <laughs> multiplied by four hours. No. no, 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 not, not on. No, I'm enjoying that. Just a superimposition on the mind. <laughs> Sun, dark. You know, once it was funny. One time in New Zealand, uh, somebody rented a no. They didn't rent it. It was in in their in their own space in a in a particular educational environment. And it turned out there was no light. <laughs> and part of the other room was being rented out with some screaming children and adults and things like that. But I was invited to give a Dharma talk in the space, and it turned out nobody investigated. There's no light. <laughs> so I gave this Dharma talk in pitch blackness.
1: It's a pretty cool experience.
0: Just black. Couldn't see anybody They couldn't see me. I'd be curious to know what the class was about. Well, it was mostly about the inability to investigate and provide the correct space for the Dharma to unfold in a certain sort of way. It was, it was known as a talk on lack of investigation, discrimination, and <laughs> forward thinking.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, all disguised under the, um, very sweet, that was very nice. You Get the idea? So you have a mirage that you can use over and over and over again to examine as a laboratory. Take it as a laboratory. If you go, I'm going and doing a meditation I'm doing a meditation retreat and I gotta sit and I gotta do this, but if you actually take it as a laboratory environment where this is the laboratory and you've got a subject to investigate, what better subject can you investigate than breath sensation? Because what sometimes the breath is stuck, sometimes it flows, sometimes it has this property, sometimes the sensation of the body is what? Downright painful. Ever have that? Yeah, yeah. Not just this, but actually the whole body of breath, the whole the whole being, is is in pain or uncomfortable, right? Stuck, uncomfortable or blissful. Oh, I never want to stop breathing ever again. This is oh my God, it's glory. And guess what? The laboratory is wonderful. Because you can notice things over and over again, like well, maybe as the mindfulness deepens. Hello, Freda, As the mindfulness deepens, every breath is different. Every breath. Does do breaths come and go? Does a breath ever stay? What happens if a breath stays? You die. You're dead. <laughs> One of the definitions. Dead, right? So it's a marvelous laboratory. So. If you don't know what to focus on, you have a you as a meditator, as a being who wants to awaken, has something that instead of being looking out there and waiting for a mirage or a boat to go by or sitting by the waves and the you know the the Lake Attila is perfectly calm, but you want it to be have waves because you want to study waves. Hi. <laughs> you want to study waves, but the waves don't come up. But what wave do you always have that you can look at? Breath. And breath are what? Breath are connected to what kinds of phenomena that we want to know about? Feelings, emotions, thoughts. Ever notice that thoughts can alter breath? Yes? Would anybody disagree that thoughts don't alter breath? Thoughts are, are Breath is just random, some random thing, right? Would you say it's something that's back in the brainstem, it gets emitted... Right to the to the lungs and just goes boop boop you know breathe in breathe out it's an automatic... you know you've been taught that autonomic just would you say that's true I think all of you know that's not true right whatever thought is doing breath is going to follow so it's a fantastic opportunity it's one of the great laboratory places to study everything that I'm speaking about. That's where you find it. Because breath is life. And how you breathe is how you are. Not this kind of breath. (laughs) Not that kind of breathing. How the energy exchange is, is really what your being is, how it manifests. now i can feel this but you see there's a difference between the lake that you can drink from and a mirage wouldn't you say that mm-hmm. come on you can go to a lake and you can drink and then from a mirage you can't you, you never uh, satisfy your thirst correct
1: mm-hmm.
0: what's why are they the same now they're not saying that 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 the mirage you can actually uh, uh, not they're the same, you know. You go to the lake and you still can't have water. But what is it that you're not having in both in both instances? Why is a mirage the same, a uh, mirage of a lake the same as a lake?
1: Right
0: nope. Nope. A sensation of perception? What's the same about a mirage and a lake? They're both illusion. Hmm? They're both illusion. They're both illusion. So when you examine it, when you go to drink from a lake, what's happening? The mind is making up the phenomena. If you go to mirage, or or the mirage is there, and and you go and you put your hand in there, do you know there's people that could experience drinking? You know that, right? They could experience drinking. Let's give some examples of mirage. Let's go to eating. Have you ever experienced being able to conceptualize or feel that you're being satisfied without having any food? Yes. How much food do you need to actually be satiated? Not much. There's receptors in the mouth that actually do that for you. Most eating has nothing to do with satiation at all. So, have you ever put something in your mouth, just like a marble or something, or a a stone, and taken away your hunger? Yeah. How about thirst? Anybody ever been really thirsty? Yeah? Did you ever see the thirst vanish completely? How about having to go to the toilet? You really got to pee? And then something comes up that's really interesting? And then you realize, half an hour, an hour later, I don't have to pee. Do you follow? So why is the mirage and drinking from the lake the same phenomenon? Why? Because you're always drinking from a mirage, even if there's water there. How are you going to know that? You're going to have to get a laboratory experiment, and do it again and again and again until you have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of examples of the mirage-like nature of all phenomena, whether it's sensation, whether it's feeling, whether it's touching an object. What is that sound? Bell. Are you kidding? Can you feel the superimposition? Can you feel the mind reaching out for a story? Right. Is there actually any sound of a bell happening here, or is it because we've all learnt what the sound of a bell is? According to the Chittamatrans, the so-called mind-only uh, yogins, the foundation of consciousness is called, by the way, if you want the technical name for this, called alaya vijnana. Some of you may know that term, the ground or the storehouse of consciousness, alaya vijnana. The foundation consciousness, which is precisely a collection of appearances of phenomena. So imagine, this is how it's explained, Imagine if the store, the ba- the the ground of consciousness, is filled with concepts, and all that has to happen is to meet the right so-called outer circumstance, and the idea launches launches up like a dream image. Do you ever get that feeling with dreams? It's just launching up before you. You're walking through a um, a, a minefield of things that just keep arising, right? Ever get that feeling? Do you think it's any different right now? So imagine that that because of human conditioning, houses appear. Why? Because we have seeds of houses. And the whole phenomenal world of experience arises. Why? Because it's been seeded that way in experience. Wouldn't that be something? Could you imagine? that the reason that human beings appear as human beings to you is why? Mm -hmm. Nothing but habitual thought gives rise to the experience, these are human beings, and they appear like human beings. Isn't that cool? Just, Just try that for a bit. It's like being in a soup with billions and billions of moments of conditioned habit patterns. And all that's needed is an outward turning of the mind meeting the right circumstances and it appears just like a dream this is chittamantra it has the potential for bringing about both the world of suffering as well as liberation so friends so let's let's try this as an example so you get an idea of how profound this is is before there's an emotional experience what is there? Before any kind of emotion or concepts arises, what is there? You've got to find that out. Which way can it go? It can go towards picturing the world, so-and-so, or it can go to seeing the world as the nature of clear mind. This, so this is why they say, It only is a matter of awareness of being a Buddha or being a sentient being. Only a matter of awareness. It's the same mind. Isn't that neat? So the ground, the being, the potential of all experience can go that way towards afflictive emotion, including believing that bliss is ultimately the best way to be. That's afflictive emotion, by the way. Bliss, ordinary bliss. Or... It can go towards what? This is, your, for some of you, important. Others, you may not get it so much. What? Awareness of mind. Awareness of awareness itself. What we make the mistake of is we look for the objects of awareness, but we don't reflect on awareness itself in its natural state, called self-illuminating awareness. And this is what the Chittamatrans pointed at. That's why they're great yogins. Tremendous, tremendous practitioners. Because what they did is they said, don't get caught in the mirage, look at what's actually creating the mirage in the first place. And that is a cessation of suffering. So the whole progress of insight meditation is to wean the addiction off the outer object, the so-called outer object, to the source of the projector, the pro- source of the projection, to experience what? That which makes the projection in the first place. Let me give you an example, which I like, as, as, which I think is one of the best examples I can find. You go to a movie theater, and you're watching a movie, but you never. Can you imagine? Could you imagine this ever happening? This is the facetious sarcastic Canadian, could you imagine this ever happening? You go into a movie theater, beings go into a movie theater, and they never ask where the movie comes from. They go, and they're in the movie, oh, you know, the sound of music, or whatever it is, and they're completely lost in the Matrix, or Star Wars, and
1: it's like,
0: and they never ask what the source is, and where's the source? Watch how easy it is. You face this way, it's called outer facing. In meditation or in, in the tradition of, of Chittamatra, outer facing experience. The movie. Whoa, cool, neat, crying, happy, sad. Woo, ah, woo, ah. What do you have to do to break it? Watch. Now, some people, this is a bit Feldenkrais, right? Some people try this. But they can't turn around. They go
1: like this.
0: <laughs> they go like this, right? And they don't see anything. They go, oh, okay, well, they're, st- they're still seeing the movie peripherally, they just see other people. But if you were to do this, you, see, you could actually look up, right, almost 180 degrees. Yeah, that is 180. And you'd see what? A little bit of light coming in. And you might trace that back to the source <coughs> of the images, which is what? Today. a A hard disk <coughs> stuck in a machine with with zeros and ones, magnetically put on zeros and ones, little iron particles, right? being translated into an image projected on a screen. And what's all the experience of a movie? Interpretation. Simply the waves of motion and projection riding on little points of light on a movie screen. It's powerful, isn't it? what's happening right now. The belief that this entity here speaking to you, which is causing, some of you, consternation, emotional turbulence, joy, all kinds of things, is actually a real entity separate than your own consciousness. It's not. Never has been, never will be. It is your own consciousness. You don't have any, we have no separation whatsoever. And yet it's just like waves riding on the ocean and somehow... One gets perturbed by all this, but what is it? Superimposition. Story-making on nothing but points of sound. Is there any fundamental difference between that sound and this sound? This is insight meditation. Ah, very Zen. Hello. Any difference at all? Hello there. Any difference at all between the sound from this voice and the sound from this bell? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? None. All of it's stories. Just temporary stories.
1: But in the movie, Patrick and Terry are doing their job right if they can keep you
0: connected they get paid very well for pulling the emotional strings, right? Very well. The better that you can elicit human emotion, of course now they're using MRI, you know that, eh? They're using MRI and PET scans to study how beings respond to certain stimuli in advertising and movies. I don't know if you know this, but yeah, 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 there's lots of money in this, is... Now we want to know is when this particular image appears or this particular sound of a voice appears, what happens in the brain and can we reproduce that and pull the heartstrings a little, little more so you'll, you'll, you'll get more drama. You know that? You know it's just a scene happening to some people. You, you know this, this is a classic one, right? Just some, some horse riders uh, riding across the, the, the Montana. And then you hear... You know, oh my God! What's going to happen, right? You know. <laughs> Terry, what would it be? You know, can you can you just riding across the plains of Montana, right? <coughs> and then what's the sound? Anyway, <laughs> like, or or. Jaws, yeah. When their heart's beating, right? boom, 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 boom. And what would be another one? Was it be sort of like, um, uh, what's that one? Um, who's that modern composer? Um, uh, not Capstein. Marconi. Hmm? There's another one very famous. Uh, Aaron uh, Copeland, right? uh, You just feel bounding across the plains. Very American.
1: It's
0: become American music. You just feel great. And then all of a sudden, they come over the edge of a a hill. (gasps) Ah. What is it? Little points of light dancing across a stream, right? And nothing but this. (tossing) All right, Terry? All mixed and crafted together to do what? <laughs> or oh, oh, for two hours, right? An hour and a half, two hours? <laughs> I enjoyed movies, by the way. Isn't that, what it, isn't that what it is? And what are we doing? <laughs> Oh <laughs> <laughs> and then you know some boring times. Bard. Bored. Bard Whoa and Yeah. All day long. All day long. All day long. All day long. But imagine if you had the insight ability, the mindfulness to experience the projector. I'm not I'm not kidding. You experience the illuminated projector and the images as images sounds as sounds as sensations and the play of light is very different experience and they say yeah but i don't get to enjoy it oh no you do believe me you get to enjoy it because when the suffering's off you really enjoy it that's a bliss that cannot even be described It's called mahasukha it's the bliss of the evenness of the cessation of suffering, is of non clean awareness. It just is pervasive bliss. Doesn't come, doesn't go, doesn't rely on anything. It's just called self illuminating mind. I'm trying to entice you. <laughs> by speaking about the truth. Superimposing external objects onto the appearance that is conceptualizing the world under the heading of existence leads to an attempt to cling to these objects and results in frustration because of their insubstantiality. Is there anything you can hold on to in this life that isn't going to perish when you perish or the object perishes? Try it. I like science. Tell me one thing that you can hold on to that isn't going to perish or change substantially. Awareness. Ah! It's empty. Uh. Can't hold on to awareness. How about pristine awareness? Anything. Person, place, object, anything at all that you can hang on to, that doesn't change or evaporate. or you going to hold on to something for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. You can hold on to that for the rest of your life.
1: <laughs>
0: it too goes at the moment of death, but then reappears uh, because it cannot be uh, seen for what it is. Just like suffering awaits the traveler in the desert who thinks there is a real lake behind an inferior mirage, On the other hand, conceiving of phenomena under the heading of the absence of an external mind-independent existence will keep us from trying to grasp at them. Now you can get very, very frustrated by trying to say, there's nothing there. So then you can go, well, if there's nothing to hold on to, why should I hold on to anything? That too is an extreme point of view. So here's the question for you. Is there anything actually out there, or is it all mind-created? This was this is the difficulty that the mind-only folks ran into, and then they got accused of, well, so it's all in your mind, right? There's no phenomenal world other than mind. They're saying that's that's true, but not your mind, mind. It's a hard one, eh? Not easy. But there's a way through. I keep teaching this. There's a way through. The way through is you don't have to take an extreme point of view. In that, in that, phenomena, phenomena don't really exist, but they apparently exist. That's fine. Somehow the Western mind wants real existence of real things. I don't know why. It's, I know it's history. Want things to be real. They don't actually have to be real. They can be apparently real, and that's actually just fine. That's fine. Now all of this implies that suffering. By the way, can you enjoy apparently? Let's let's try this. Here's here's a value judgment. If I told you, do you do you enjoy this sound? How many people enjoy this sound? Let's see a show of hands. Do you enjoy this sound? If I told you bright beings that that sound doesn't actually exist, it's from a digital recording. Would you enjoy it as much? Or if I said, you know what, that's just a figment. I'm 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 doing a ventriloquist kind of thing. <laughs> watch, watch. Or you know, I go like this and you go, yeah. ah! didn't know bells make that sound, but I guess they do. Ah! Would you enjoy it more or less? More. More. <laughs> more. <laughs> So we can enjoy, you can enjoy, apparent things, correct? You can enjoy an apparent thing, but where does the joy really come? In not clinging to it having to be a real solid entity. Now this is very important for liberation. Can you experience phenomena, including emotions, feelings, thoughts, even your lover, your, your uh, uh, father, your mother, your grandmother, As an apparently real phenomena, not cling and still have joy. Yes, you see. But if you take the false argument that the apparent phenomena, if you take the argument too far, or the the mind too far, the apparent phenomena is not real. Therefore, I shouldn't like it. You see, it's called it's negative. You then take life away danger, very big danger in teaching emptiness, is now you take away life. But if you enjoy life and you know it's truly what it really is, as experience, it's just experience, the solid wall, the couch you sit on, the food you drink. You know, coffee has all the same taste, you know that. All the coffee we drink has exactly the same taste. It's all super super superimposition. There's not even any coffee there. Every time you drink coffee, there's no coffee there. Simply play of the mind. Does that mean you can't enjoy coffee? No. You can you can enjoy relative phenomena, not just don't get caught. In it. That's the joy. It's the joy of life. I'm I'm almost ready to dance on tables right now, <laughs> with my violin. Now, this implies that suffering can be stopped by changing the way things seem to us. Gotta watch this. Now, this all implies, this is called antidote liberation, which never clears up suffering. Watch for this. Ante- what I call antidote liberation, antidote yoga, which is okay, but it doesn't clear it up. Now, all this implies that suffering can be stopped by changing the way things seem to us. All we need to do is change the way things appear to us, and it's all okay. So if there's anxiety, all you need to do is say, it's not anxiety, it's just a sensation. And it changes, and you feel better, right? Or it's just the body, and if I change the breathing and go (laughs) like that, I'll feel better. Or, you know, posture or something, right? Or go for a walk or a run or a swim, and you feel better, correct? That's called antidote meditation. That's, that's not liberation. It's always changing the perspective of mind to get a different map, but the suffering comes back. Do you see? Every phone. The antidote works for a time, but doesn't actually fundamentally cut to the root of the delusion. Since there are no underlying external objects that, we, that are the causes of appearances, changing the way things seem to us, changing the way things seem to us is changing the way things are. Now that's delusion too. All I need to do is change the frame of reference and I change the external world. and my experience. great? But does that really work? it's good because you you get to have the experience that all you need to do is change the mind state the feeling in the mind and the phenomenal world changes does that does that make sense change the breath change the posture change what you eat change where you go you know that's called distraction yoga because it's still distracting you which can be very good for some beings by the way they need lots of it but it's still distracting you from the root. What's the root? That there still is a ima- there still is imaginary objects, and what is the nature of phenomena? That pleasure, excuse me, that pleasure or displeasure we see in a situation is heavily dependent on the way in which a situation appears to us. Is now a major area of, of economics and psychology where we see people who are given a choice. This is a major area of, of economic study. People are given a choice, and also medicine, given a choice of how to heal, but they pick the wrong choice because the way in which the situation is framed appears nicer than it is, but they actually take the wrong choice. So, to give an example, you actually have a, maybe you have a better rate by being treated by chemotherapy, by being treated by surgery, but you take chemotherapy because it feels like less suffering. And yet the survival rate can be higher. For, I'm just talking about some studies. And yet most often people pick what? The chemotherapy, but not the surgery. Interesting, eh? Because the surgery feels and appears very invasive and difficult, whereas the chemotherapy feels... If it's depending on the frame of reference. So the frame of reference often determines how, always determines how we see the world. You know, this Dharma talk could be given in what kind of situation? The same. We could be in a houseboat. We could be in a cave, which is, what, around the corner and over the side, yeah? We could be out swimming in the water. We could actually be treading water, right? Isn't that right? We could be in a dark room. We could be having thunder and lightning. We could be having opera in the background. I've given whole Dharma discourses in in busy cafes, right? And seeing if people can actually hear it. And some people, it's really good. It's a challenge, eh? Imagine a busy cafe, full music blaring, people talking, and people have asked for, for for a Dharma teaching. Give it. Frame of reference. Is this more important Is this feeling like it's a more important Dharma discourse than if we were out in the water, treading water? Hi, all bathing suits. (laughs) It's all to do with frame of reference and appearance, but that's still an antidote because it hasn't gotten to the root of mind. What is mind? This is the central question. What actually is experience? you want to know the central question of liberation, even take away the word mind because it's too airy-fairy for most people. Just go, what's the nature of experience? Because that's the suffering. That's the central thing. It all comes around what is happening with experience. So beings are tricked and trick themselves all day long by taking the wrong choice because the choice has been framed by somebody else, or in their mind, to make a choice that actually makes no logical sense. Day in stock markets, stock behavior is known to be completely irrational. They thought it was rational. People actually buy things, mm-hmm. sell things based on rational behavior. Two thousand eight was the final nail in the coffin of modern economic theory that people are rational. Right? Modern economic theory has been based primarily on rational decision-making. 2008 was the tumbling, final tumbling, I think, of most economic theory that said it's actually rational. No, people are irrational. They make irrational decisions. According to this view, the world does not come already sliced up into different situations or outcomes that we then desire to achieve or avoid. Rather, these outcomes are something human beings construct. The world doesn't... This is, this is beautiful because this is, reaches at the heart of suffering. The world doesn't already come sliced up, prearranged, in cubby holes... Where the decision is made, where the outcome is made, right? That that's done by what? I'll well p- well put here. Rather these outcomes are something that human beings construct. Let's say we make let's say the the water is rough, and we want to go to the other side of the lake. Who makes the decision to go across the lake? The captain or yourself, right? But is the universe coming preordained, sliced up, you have to go or do not have to go? Did you follow? Cool, isn't it? You wake up in the morning, and what is there before you? An infinite universe of possibilities. But what does it seem to most people? Sliced, diced, packaged cubicles, modules to fit into. How we regard a particular scenario, how we regard a particular scene, is not dependent on any of its intrinsic features, but a product of the way it is conceptualized on the basis of appearances. So one person going to a movie, it's a tearjerker. Another person going to a movie, boring. I know people, right? Star Star Wars? And Matrix. Matrix? I don't even see the point of it. No, I'm not speaking for myself, but because I think they're great movies, they're wonderful movies. But I've known people. How do you find it? I can't even watch it. It's boring. I don't even see the point of it. Matrix. I don't even see the point of it. Star Wars? I don't want to watch it. It's, it's just trash. How many people walk around in their daily lives, not in the movie theater, doing that? Think about this for a second. How many people walk around going crap, trash, not interested, boring? Oh man, that's so good! That 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 is it. That's the best coffee. We yeah, they serve the best coffee. That's the best croissant in the whole world. That's 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 the most amazing watermelon I've ever had. Or you know where you know where they make the best um, um, what is it hummus? It's around the corner. My friend, my Lebanese, around the corner. It's the best hummus in the whole world tell you, it is. It is. It is the best. It's the very best hummus. Very, very best hummus. It's the way life is conceptualized. Now how we, now we see, we now see how. I like, sometimes you get these words, I mean it's for this this being's brain. Certain words put together and they just don't, don't work well, we now see how regarding phenomena as comparable to mirages alerts us to two fundamental facts about them. First, the idea we have of, phenomenal, of phenomena as external mind-independent objects. It's out there. It's habitual. It's out there. It's out there. It's out there. It's out there. It's, out there. it's real. It's real. It's real. It's a conception superimposed on a complex array of sensory items, all of which are both internal and mind-dependent. So this is what we need to do in insight meditation, vipassana, or Mahamudra, Zogchan. We need to examine our sensory phenomena so closely to find out if the sensory phenomena and sensory perception is independent of mind. Can you you hear this? You can only do this through Vipassana, not through philosophy. Is the sensory information coming in independent of mind, or is it always shaped by mind? I like that. I don't like that. It feels good. It doesn't feel good. It feels neutral. What is it other than what? A superimposition, a movement of the mind that creates the object of experience. There's no bell making a sound for you, for me. There simply is uh, an appearance. As such, now let's see here, all we have on the level of appearance are more or less stable possibilities of sensation. Possibilities of sensation. Change the mind, change the mind states, and all the sensations change. Right? Does anybody would anybody disagree? Feel good? It feels good. Feel not so good? Doesn't feel good. Is that simple? In a bad mood? Would you stop playing that bell? It's really irritating. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't that going to get really irritating? Like if, if every time I, I stop talking, i and start talking, and stop talking. And then we can carry on. all we have on the level of appearance are more or less stable possibilities more or less not not more but less but that takes that takes mindfulness more or less stable possibilities of sensation and mind experience is sensation we split it off but it's a sensation That there is anything out there producing the sensation is an idea we can only arrive at by a leap of faith, or as the Buddhists would want to claim, by a deluded mind. The only reason we have real existing things out there is a giant leap of faith due to habitual patterns. Now you're going to say, I I, like like this, this is fun. Now now you're going to say, because you're, there's lots of scientists in the audience, that we can measure this cup independently with a machine that will verify that there's a cup out here. Would you all agree? What kind of machine would that be? So let's do this. Let's put cup is here. This is like magic. Except the sleeves are too tight. <laughs> independently verifiable laboratories to demonstrate that the cup is out here. How are we going to demonstrate the cups out there? Scale. We're going to weigh it? Okay, we weigh it. Who produced the scale? The mind. Mind. Mind, human production of a scale that is designed to measure things out there in a certain level of reference points that we have all grown up to agree, like watches. What would happen if we never grew up with a watch?
1: We have
0: in our pockets. We have we have our cell phone <laughs> as alarm clocks. Yeah. Was that like an inside uh, yeah. comment? <laughs> we we would uh, we would then we'd have the watch always in our pocket, so we would never be able to read the time. Yeah. Is that was uh, can I translate for you? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Se- Secret partner information going back and forth. Imagine if we actually never had watches. No town squares with a clock, Mm -hmm. no sundials, what would time be like for us? Very, very different experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very different experience. Time would not be experienced the same way. Not at all. Is there time? Yes. A feeling of flow, but nothing like we have today. But we would develop
1: something, because there there seems to be a shared common (coughs) desire for... Exactness, I suppose. So, no? <laughs> okay, no.
0: So the scale... Let's, let's, could, could we have some other kinds of equipment that could independently verify the that the cup is actually there? But the scale measures what? Weight. Is weight the cup? So, watch. Put this on a scale. Read out... 23.5 grams is 24 is 25.3 grams a cup. Jamie is 20 is an LED display It says 23 or 26.3 grams a cup. a cup. Come on, come on Come on. It's the weight of what? It's an LED readout saying it's so many grams. Is that a cup? No. But we all want to believe that's a cup. Even Jamie's having a problem with this. We want to believe that's a cup. Got it? Let's try another one. Let's go further so you you get this erased from your consciousness. How else will we measure this? Come on, get, get sophisticated. How do you put it
1: in front
0: of a mirror? So we put it in front of a mirror. Is the image in the mirror the cup? No. no. Let's try again. We want to independently verify it. That means I have to take this cup and I have to put it somewhere else where a measurement is made without me seeing it or you seeing it. An instrument is going to detect it. What kind of instrument? A spectrophotometer. Whoa. We're going to measure its light properties. And we're going to measure there's blue, there's orange, there's yellow, there's white, you know, so on. And we get a printout. Cool, eh? With like spectrographic printout, a chart this big. Is that the cup? I want proof there's a cup. We have a machine that goes like this. And we get all kinds of broken pieces of of porcelain. No, I don't think that's... uh, Stoneware. Okay? Broken pieces of stoneware. And they're all lying about... And the machine says, stoneware. Is that the cup? No. Independently, a machine is like this. It has a teapot, and there's an arm from a robot. And it fills up the cup to the exact same volume as the cup that we knew it. and we measure the volume, and it is how many mils? 283 mils. We go, that's the cup! It was 283 mils before, it's 283 mils now, it's the cup. But what is it? A printout of 283 mils. What's the story? It's the cup. How do we ever know that something is independent? We can't because it's all mind-created. Every instrument, every independent thing, every story is actually what? A mind-produced story where the object is interdependent and dependent on mind. Now you're going to say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't buy that. That tree out there is not dependent on my mind to exist. Prove it. You can't. (laughs) You cannot. Because you see it's the knower. Consciousness knows. It all comes down to the knower. What does the knower know about the object? It only knows what it can describe, which is an infinitesimal part of the totality. Do you follow? Only a little infinitesimal. I saw the leaf of that or the twig on that tree, it tells me it's a twig. I never saw the whole tree. It's nothing but a mirage in my mind, and it feels inherently real. Do you see? A hundred million times a day, boom, 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 like a like a dreamscape. But no way you can in you no way you can independently verify the existence. You know, they're having a real hard time right now, Barry, with dark matter. Really hard. And they're a little bit concerned that dark matter is going to be one of those physics problems that never goes away. Because they set up two machines, identically built, one over here and one over here, (laughs) two different results. It's getting tough. It's a really tough time in the world of trying to figure out what 80 to 90% of all matter is in the universe, because 80 to 90% of all matter in the universe cannot be seen. They don't even know what it is. Isn't that cool? It's a very exciting time for physics right now, and there's experiments all over the world giving conflicting results. It's really cool. How's it going to get resolved? The story's going to have to straighten itself out. They're all going to have to start agreeing on the story. <laughs>
1: Also
0: the mathematics. Yes, and then mathematics is a story. For if the mind only, no, if the Chittamatran school or, or um, perspective of yogins is right, there are no existence behind the appearance. There's no real existence. Behind, No real, solid, substantial, ultimate existence behind any appearance as there is no water behind the mirage. Do you see? There's no water behind the mirage. And if you're a certain type of person, no matter how much water you drink, you're never satisfied, even if it's not the mirage. Of course, this does not mean that suffering can be avoided just by suitably reframing, watch that. It doesn't mean, this. so watch, watch this. Most beings in the spiritual life are reframing experiences with new models to avoid suffering, but it's not liberation. No matter how sophisticated, even Chittimattran, if you study Chittamatran theory, and you study chittamatrans, you'll never come to freedom. It's a good model. And then you can go on to the um, Rangtong model and the Shentong model. But the model isn't enough. It can allay suffering, but it simply doesn't go to the root. Do you see Be very, very careful that you don't end up in a spiritual world of applying antidotes for the rest of your life. It's very, very easy to do. And the Chittamatrans didn't. They were amazing yogins. Yogins is male and female. They were amazing yogins, the Chittamatrans, of high realization. You spend enough time doing these contemplations, you'll come to extraordinary realization and great freedom. A person who thinks that a mirage lake contains fresh water might be more happy now than one who thinks that it contains salt water as the first enjoys the prospect of quenching his thirst, whereas the other one does not. Boy, the suffering gets imminutely tied in. Ultimately, of course, both will be disappointed, whether the ones that think it's salt water or the ones that think it's fresh water. Neither will find anything to drink. Is there anything to drink? Is there any coffee there at all? You're asking me this? Yes. (laughs) Is there any coffee there to drink at all? Apparently. No. Only an apparent uh, series of conventions called coffee, but all of it is experience in the mind. Now, I, we need to go a little further. What time is it? Is the coffee in the mind? I wasn't doing that. <laughs>
1: I'm just holding this out.
0: What was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> cool, eh? Isn't that neat? Does this, is this object in your mind? Does it get in
1: your mind?
0: Like? No. <laughs> I mean, or... <clears throat> You know, how how do you, like like a stone, like a stone pillar, how do you get the stone pillar, does it float around your mind like floaters? You know, like floaters, does it float around, there's like a concrete pillar and there's a house, like all these objects are floating around in the mind, and that's how you see them. Now, is that true? Is
1: that
0: true? So where, where is it, So are these things in the mind? What is in the mind? So you you will have to determine where the outer experience is actually located. Is it out there? Is it in here? So let's try this again. Can this be in your mind? Can you get these in your mind? (laughs) Come on. Do these, can you get these inside the mind? No. So what's in the mind? Concept, a concept. <laughs> and what's a concept made of? That's what you've got to look at. Now, as Vipassana. What's the concept made of? Do it again and again and again. How do you do it? Look at the concept directly. Feel it. See it. I am Mark. Squid. Say squid. Squid. Say squid. 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 Say squid. 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 What is it? What is it? Is squid in the mind? Look at it, look at it, again and again and again and again and again and again. What do you find? What is an appearance? It's like a mirage, shimmering in the mind that is believed to be real, and you go, I'm not a squid. I'm not a squid. And what do you react to? A mirage. (laughs) Are you getting a feeling for this? This is insight meditation. You react to the mirage, but there's actually nothing <clears throat> taking place, then what? An appearance. Or a sensation. Oh. oh! I hate that feeling! What is it? Sensation. And if you're in a state of loving-kindness, what happens? It just vanishes. just feels, oh my God, that feels good. What is pain? Can that sometimes actually feel good? So, some people say to me, you know, I'm, I'm having some difficulties with anxiety. Or whatever say. What is it? Well, it's anxiety, because now there's a label, right? Anxiety. But what is it? Well, it's the way I feel. Well, what's feeling? Sensation. But if you just experience pure sensation, really pure, just clear, what is it? Just sensation. What happens to it? It changes. So, as long as you superimpose the weight of anxiety. It gets more uncomfortable, and more uncomfortable, and more uncomfortable. But if you just go through it with absolute clarity, it's like ants crawling all over your body. Okay, so ants crawling in your body. Guess what happens? They just vanish. Five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, an hour, two hours. Be patient. Let them fall away. Fall away. Or you can go for antidotes. Can you give me some antidotes? It hurts. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. So what do you do? Take some medicine. Or what else? Turn the television on. What else? Eat. eat don't eat. Go for a swim. Go for a run. Do some meditation. Do some yoga. Right? Climb a mountain. Jump off a mountain. Get in a plane. Jump out of the plane. Get in the plane. Jump out of the plane. Get in the plane. <laughs> and jump out of the plane. You know, go horseback riding. Whatever it is. A million things. Drink wine. Drink coffee. Who knows? Right? To do what? Stay away from anything but the appearance. And it's only an appearance. Are you getting the idea a little bit? This is why it's a mirage. This is why it's a moon in water, chasing the moon in the water, and there's not even a moon there. Could you imagine the difference in concept between someone who looks at the moon from the planet Earth and someone who actually walks on the moon? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine the difference? This is why I go to Finca's. This is why I go to coffee farms. I I, I go to most things. I'll go to an iron factory. I'll go see metal turning, wood turning, uh, pottery studios. I go to all those things. Why? It's a very different experience when you smelt, tasted, touched, interacted with people, pulled the berries off, watched the whole process. It's a completely different experience as opposed to Mm. Thanks for the coffee.
1: <laughs>
0: Why? Because it's all appearances. So you may as well make the, comp- the experience very complex and of a large scope. Because what does it do? It leads to freedom. So don't ever poo-poo knowledge. Don't poo-poo knowledge. Knowledge can be. Uh, you know, there's a there's a sign in my high school. So like I think it was like, uh, it, like it was in Latin, but it says something like knowledge is freedom. Well, real knowledge is freedom. What's knowledge? Uh, what's what's real freedom? The knowledge of appearances. The knowledge of mind reflecting appearances, and it feels very real. And it's not. So the Chichamatrains proposed... Basically, that there's nothing other than mind. Nothing other than mind. Do you get a feeling for why they'd say that? Nothing other than mind. Why? Nothing other than the experience of mind. There's nothing independent of mind. Things need a knower. I just wrote some notes to myself here. Things need a knower. And that means things can't exist independently. Whenever there's a knower, a a sentient being, a sentient consciousness, even an insect, it's a knower. And the knower makes the object. It shapes the object. It makes that object, it it gives it definition. Why is this deck the way it is right now? Because someone shaped it. Sentience shaped the, the deck. Why is this house shaped the way? Is it just a miracle? No, it's shaped by mind. Why is the water the way it is right now? It's shaped by mind. Someone else... I've I've been in the port of Rotterdam with no waves. With a fellow sharing my cabin who was seasick and going, it's really rough. I, I can't take this. I'm seasick. It was in the port of Rotterdam, flat, as a pancake. But he was completely like very sick. Yeah. Just mind Things need a knower, and that means things can't exist independently of mind. A knower and an apprehender. However, don't think of it as your mind. Mind not your mind. Mind. You have to get away from your mind. It's my mind. It's my problem. It's the way I see things. No. It's the way mind experiences. It's the way mind produces all that we experience. Mind. So how do we reach totality? How do we reach enlightenment? besides what I've just told you, which is sufficient. How? You have to break down this feeling, this sensation, that there's actually something out there, which also means there's things independently existing in your own physiology and so on. And then, when that gets broken, the clinging ceases, and there's an experience of totality. Why? Because there's nothing in this universe that's separate from mind. Even to the point of saying, my mind, because I've been taught this in school, my parents taught it to me, my friends taught it to me, my mind is this big. We grow up that way, yes? Many of us grow up that way. Mind is how big? The brain. Have you had experiences where the mind is bigger? Where's the mind right now? Where is where's, where's the totality of your experience right now? Don't, don't, don't forget what you learned in a high school um, biology, right? Or a university. What's your experience right now of the scope of mind? How big is it? Does it encompass this room? Or is it only right here? how big how big can the encompassing of phenomena be so now we go to the experience of totality which is the Buddha qualities imagine a consciousness that's broken through those boundaries that has no limits to what it can actually experience and know because it's so clear amazing and what would it be doing why would it what would be the reason? for developing that scope of consciousness and not just clearing up my problems. I want you to clear up my problems. I'm meditating, I'm a spiritual person, and I want you to... This is what they do with the teacher, right? You clear up my problems. Now. By giving me a meditation. The is greater than consciousness. That's my favorite. Yeah. But why? Why? What would be the motivation for developing that scope of awareness and breaking through the, the um, mirage, the belief that the mirage is actually tasty. Compassion, that's all. This is missed all the time, you see. In the rush to get free, what's missed <coughs> is that compassion is the number one enterprise. Because all of it comes down to compassion the reason for meditating on emptiness becomes a compassionate enterprise. Because when you have a heart that sees suffering and the depth of suffering, not just crying suffering, even the beings in bliss, knowing the beings in bliss one moment will be the other way the next. Then the reason for actually investigating the nature of mind is because of the boundless scope of compassion of beings that are really free. Okay? That's called Buddhahood. or Bodhisattvahood. Bodhisattvas strive for greater and greater scope of realization of emptiness. Why? For compassion. And compassion does what drives greater and greater need for more realization of emptiness. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until I'm told I'm told that there is such a thing as a Buddha Buddha mind, a fully realized being. Possible? Yeah, I believe it. You just need some good experiences of, of um, uh, wisdom mind to go. Oh yeah, oh yeah, quite possible, quite possible. It's worth pursuing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else, are you, gonna <coughs> what else
1: are you gonna
0: do? What else you gonna do? Yeah. No. What, what else? What else is there to do? Just think about it. Why? Why wouldn't you? Too hard? No. It's what your mind is doing right now. Just the way the mind is. The only reason the mind wants objects is for what purpose? It wants to be happy. So why don't you make it really happy? Is find out what mind is. Mm-hmm. That's all. And then you'll be really happy. That's called in the chittamatran terms, that's called the self-illuminating mind. Why? Because then you know what's knowing. Here, here, take it like this. Here, you see this object? It's going to go on for a couple more minutes. There's always opportunities for liberation, abounding. Do you see this object? Why not experience the mind, the awareness that actually experiences that object? What's its nature? What's its nature? And if you actually go and, and, and practice, eventually you'll find that that nature, that awareness, is none either than a self-illumination of freedom. That's called emptiness. That's called emptiness. The empty illuminated mind, it's empty of what? Empty of obstructions. It's empty of conflicting emotions. It's empty of uh, belief that something out there is real. There's nothing out there appearing but created by mind. Okay. So that's why the mirage, chasing after mirages. Where's the mirage? Watch the breath. Yeah. Watch sensation. Don't just watch it, investigate it. Watching will never lead you to insight. Investigation will. That's why the Buddha said, without investigating dharmas, no liberation is possible. Watching is not sufficient for insight. For vipassana, watching is not sufficient. I should repeat that a hundred times. If you watch, and you watch, and you watch without view, without investigation, what happens? You watch. And you keep watching. And you keep waiting. And you wait for miracles. But if you investigate, the miracles happen much faster. So what do we do? We increase the chances of miracles. We're upping retreats. We up the possibilities of miracles happening, right? Why? Because investigation. Right? Go investigate. Any questions about that? That's the the section, the example of mirage, mirage-like nature. When the mind becomes unified with outer and inner objects, then the world appears like a mirage. Not bad, not good, but it, it actually experience. The experience is mirage like. People are mirage like. Why? Because you actually feel that the object is in the mind, not out there.
1: You know?
0: Mirage like. Not solidly real, mirage like. That doesn't mean that they're not precious, and beings and things are not precious. They're just mirage-like. Why? Because the mind is experiencing, not the objects. What's your experience like right now? Is it solid? Is experience solid? Just look out, like this. Just look out right now. Is it solid? Or is it has a nature of light and clarity? Just look at it. God, you could become enlightened right now. Just look right at the experience right now. Is it solid and obstructed, or is it open and clear and bright? Sound. Very. If you can't see that well, then you can use your ears and your se- other senses. But what does the mind feel like? The mind. The mind. Not the objects. The mind. That's insight. Not the objects. The feel of the mind, the actual quality of mind. Can you describe it? Use words. Describe it right now. What's it like? What's it like? Clear. Clear. Mm -hmm. Open? Anything else? Still. Still? Hmm? Is it obstructed? Like, is it solid? Is my, like, you know, a solid rock... Is it? Is it like it won't move? Like nothing will happen in it? It's like fixed. No. Space-like. Intangible. Can you put a definite word on what it is? How about this? How about? Can you tell me exactly what mind? What the experience is right now? Is it a rock? Is it a couch? Is it emotion? Are you having? Is it emotion only? No. Is it a thought? Well, no. Is it space? Well, not quite. Is it made of light? Well, it feels, but not really. Is it like transparency? Yeah. So what is it? That's what you do. Stop becoming stop being entranced by the mirage and look at the apprehender. Look at the nature of apprehending and you become enlightened. Okay? Let the world let the universe in. Stop pushing the universe away. Let it all in. You can contain all the whole universe within mind because that's where it's all being contained anyways. Just let it in. Stop being so angry and so pushy. Just let it in. There's totality. There's no separation between mind and phenomena at all, nothing. Not one millimeter, not one micron, not one angstrom of a separation between experience and phenomena. It's totally unified every moment, not a bit of separation. So you're going to have to love, and love very deeply, because you got to let your heart open, because when you let your heart open, mind opens. But loving-kindness is not necessarily the same as realization of the nature of emptiness, but boy does it help. <laughs> okay, so uh, you have your practices to do, your exercises, go, you've got a laboratory, Go play. Play with energy, concentration, vigor, interest, relaxation, brightness, and go enjoy and keep at it and don't go, when am I going to become enlightened? When am I going to become enlightened? When am I going to get it? No, just collect data. Collect data. Observe, be interested, collect data. Be very gentle. Collect data, collect data, collect data, collect data. If it hurts, collect data. If you're blissful, collect data. If you're bored, collect data. doesn't matter. Who cares? So people come to me and say, Oh, I'm bored out of my mind. Good. Collect data. I feel awful. Good. Collect data. I'm blissful. Yeah, so what? Collect data. You'll be be unhappy in an hour or two. (laughs) Or a day. Or a week. Or a month. I'm so... I love this. You know, this this is when I get really... I'll tell you my history of retreat. You know, this retreat is so amazing. It's the ones that come up. To me, this is amazing. This, I love this. I just think that I mean I'm really having they're gone the next day.
1: <laughs>
0: it's happened occasionally. They come up to me and go, you know, this is mostly new new folks. You know, I can't believe how deep this is. And I can't believe how much I'm enjoying this retreat. This is amazing. And this is like phenomenal. And I'm so happy here, you know. Where's so and so today? They drove off in their car. <laughs> It's happened occasionally. Not very often. It really, and they got blown away. Because their expectation was it's going to be fantastic, it's great, and everything else. And then all of a sudden the, 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 um, the heebie-jeebies, heebie-jeebies came in and they ran. So if you feel like running, just come see me, please. Just don't. Because it's just another wave of the ocean washing through. That's all. Okay, that's the art of being a good yogin, professional yogin, is when it gets really rough you stay with it. When it gets really blissful, you stay with it. When it's really boring, you stay with it. All the same. By this powerful activity may it lead to cessation of suffering for all beings. Idante punikamang asawaki wahangho tu. Dante punikamang asawaki wahangho tu. Dante punikamang asawaki wahangho to. May all beings be one well happy, and may all beings be established in the unity of the mind of Guru Rinpoche, the expression of totality and unbroken freedom, the unity of wisdom and compassion.